Okay, we are live, Seth. Um, this is Absolute AppSec, episode number seven. I'm Ken Johnson, and I'm a co-host, Seth Law. Say, Hey, everybody. So uh, last week we had... Um, oh, my God, I'm blanking. Last week was... Kevin Cody. Last I'm sorry, Kevin, Kevin Cody. Cody. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I am so fried today. Um, last week was Kevin Cody. Next week, we're going to be joined with uh, by Jason Haddix. He's going to jump on the podcast. Um, so that should definitely be interesting. Yeah, uh, all, sor- all sorts of opinions about uh, Bug Crowd. and I, I mean, Jason works for BugCrowd.com for anybody that doesn't know. So his opinions on Bug Bounty are going to be interesting compared to what we've talked about previously, right? With Jerry and with others about from a researcher perspective, it'll be, it'll be a good take from him on how it's actually run, how the company's structured should be, should be fun. Yeah. And I'm hoping he's going to teach me how to give me the secret to uh, share, share the secret with you and I on uh, getting that sweet, sweet bug money sweet sweet bug bounty money yeah i'm sure he will right uh, i mean he's done multiple talks and things like that on how to go about it um but i think a lot of it has to do with discipline but we'll, we'll get into that next week with him i think that'll be a better a good introduction for anybody oh no sponsor neil nobody's ever been a sponsor <laughs> no guest is what you should be saying <laughs> Was that in the chat? Oh, hi, Neil. <laughs> no sponsor this week. Fun, fun. Yeah, if we've got sponsors, I want to. I want some money, <laughs> or at least something. Challenge <laughs> coin. Yeah. <laughs> something. Today cool. is 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 sponsored by my hamster that escaped over the weekend. Yeah, there you go. Did your hamster really escape over the weekend? Well, we went. Yeah, it did. It did. I, 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 I'm <laughs> much of it but uh, having kids and then they leave the the lid off the uh, the food tray and then this the hamster disappears one night yeah that's always fun so if anybody has any good tips on catching hamsters without you know humanely that would probably be good the five-year-old is very concerned oh well i'm sorry hopefully you guys find it or find one that looks a lot like the old one and slip it into the cage. Yes, there you go. <laughs> Nothing we we can do that. Anyway, that, that doesn't have anything to do with application security, but that's that's what we're dealing with. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, and I don't know if we've ever said this, you can ask us anything. It doesn't have to be just AppSec related. Um, sponsored by Content Security Policy by from Jimmy Mesta. Sweet, Jimmy. Send us stickers then. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you can ask whatever. I mean, it's kind of just going it's through. Be informal, right? I, that's, that's what we've always wanted it to be. So, um, But along those lines, right, as far as the podcast is concerned, we do have plans to launch on both Stitcher and iTunes and actually do an RSS feed for audio only. For those of you that have been asking, um, doesn't look like it's too complex, but it just means that we, we've got to get all our ducks in a row so that we're actually pushing those things out. Uh, you will notice some branding and things like that around the podcast. That's mostly just because we wanted it to look, well, we, we didn't necessarily want my face on every single podcast, even though for some reason that seemed to be what was happening. Uh, so when you go to... Uh, the YouTube page. Now you'll see a, a little graphic there and you, you can still find my face um, <laughs> if you want, if you would like. Uh, I just like uh, having you there to blame you if this goes horribly wrong. Yeah, there you go. Maybe we should, maybe we should have Jimmy Mesta on sometime too, if he's listening and Neil and Neil. Yeah. And Neil, what's up with that? I, I mean, I know it's only like what four o'clock or like 10 o'clock in the morning for him or something like that. Six hours. So it should be 1 p.m. where he's at, I think. Yeah. Okay. See. I, he, yeah. So he's awake. 
<laughs> wouldn't be not like our European listeners, right? <laughs> Is my mom hanging out in Europe now? Is that what's going on? <laughs> you know. um, <laughs> oh yeah. And so, yeah. And on that note, we should probably mention, okay, so it's been pretty informal, but, and it will continue to be informal, but at least we're uh, setting up a website. We're going to have a Slack channel. Y'all can hang out in. Um, it'll be easier to, cause I've been having a hard time with uh, a five hour difference at this time of year, says Neil. Um, but yeah, so I'm having an issue with like posting links into the YouTube chat and it actually showing up correctly. That's been a problem every time. So we'll re rectify that by and having like a better historical log with Slack. Um, website will allow you to sign up through the website for that. And what else? Like you said, RSS feeds and, and audio only versions and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, eventually I think we would like to start pushing out some of the topics and things like that that we talk about into blog posts or something like that. Uh, but that's not all set in stone yet, right? Um, I mean, obviously for Ken and I, this is just something we've always wanted to do and get together and talk about application security. So, you know, if people want to respond, that's great. Um, but we will drop links in there probably from the different episodes. And the interesting things that we're talking about are that yeah, guests bring up with us. Cool. So that brings us to tonight. Obviously, tonight, uh, no guest. Uh, it's just Ken and I, but we do have a list of things that we wanted to talk about. We could reprise uh, some things depending on what people are interested in. Uh, I don't think we'll dig into CSP internals, right? Unless Ken wants to stumble through that again. CSP internals or cores. Are we talking about cores? Cores, whatever. Yeah. Oh, no, no. You, you can talk CSP if you want to as well, right? Yeah. yeah. Let's get right on that. Let's talk about that all night. Okay. <laughs> the internals of that. Mm -hmm. How that works. Yeah. Um, Although I think we have touched on it before, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. It, you know, when we start talking security headers and the way that all of that works, uh, we talked about it a little bit last week with Kevin Cody. So if you're interested in that, uh, pull that one, pull that episode up. We got a little bit in there on security headers. Uh, Tonight, though, uh, I'm not sure where you want to start, Ken. Yeah, we can start with the uh, Tesla okay. public cloud environment. Although, I'll say this about... So, so if for, for those who don't know, it, it basically... <clears throat> attackers found a cube, cube, Kubernetes administrative interface uh, publicly exposed. Um. I don't think it had any credentials at all, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. And within it, I'm meaning to access it through the administrative console. And then, um, and I'm kind of rereading the. It had it had AWS credentials that it access to, non-public S3 data for Tesla, and uh, that was exposed. So, I guess the whole thing with this, like from my point of view is that um, we've been talking mean, to I personally, and I know we've been talking about this for several years now. I mean, this is like the, and Chris Gates, who we're, we're definitely going to have on, he and I have done DevOps talks on this, which is basically like insecure tooling with fault on the internet, which have, overly permissive creds stored in there or just creds at all. Um, and using that to, to pivot in. I think that one thing they brought up and we showed this in like uh, at our talk in RSA or DevOps talk at RSA, uh, Chris had found on one, like, I think it was an open Reddit. It was open Redis boxes. He had found a bunch of them that were effectively being used. Like their, their utilization percentage, I think was, over 90%, which is really weird for a Redis, Redis box. And uh, he had found that they were being used to um, crypto mine. And then on top of that, he actually tracked down, I think he actually had tracked down a little bit of information on the person doing it or the group doing it, whatever. And um, oh gosh, I can't remember the amount of money, but it was a lot of money they were making off that. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the, 
I guess that's the, that's the same. I just hit Tesla, you know. So what was the story. chain there, right? Um, you know, if we're digging into specifics, you know, there was something with the S3 buckets, but what? how did they gain access? Well, they discovered the Kubernetes administrative interface, which is probably something like you could get with um, Shodan or something along those lines. Okay. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I have one article in front of me, not a whole bunch of them. So, uh, and this, let's see. Da, da, da. Oh my goodness. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, from what Jerry was posting, because he was, he was the one that brought this to our attention to actually talk about it a little bit. Right, so the admin console was exposed, and it contained the credentials for their AWS environment, which included the non-public Tesla data that was in S3. Right, um, and it, yeah. I mean, this this report. I don't know. This can't be accurate, or maybe it can be. I don't know. It says seventy-three percent of organize, and I need to put this in the chat. So 73% of organizations allow the root user account to be used to perform activities. I mean, I question of which activities, but it's definitely known that that's a, like, I, I don't want to name names of corporations, but I, I know a few that basically we'll say you're on Angie's list again. No, yeah, no, not in, no, and I'm not, I'm not picking. I'm actually saying like these, these are companies that are what you might consider an enterprise level level company. They're not having these issues. Um, now they are having issues, but different to, you know, like we'll say root account usage. So I'm not sure if these are like smaller groups or I don't know. I, I could be completely wrong too. I'm just going by what this report says. Let me put it in chat. Um, yeah, I mean, and I'm reading that paragraph right now. I mean, I, I, I think from what they're trying to say is that organizations are allowing access to the root account on AWS, right? Which is the super, super admin that can do anything. Um, I mean, that account has to exist, but I don't necessarily see that as the issue with this Tesla hack, right? Or this Tesla exposure. No, definitely not. I mean, um, root account, like that would have been a way worse situation. Um, trying to read, I'm trying to figure out where Jimmy got this uh, quote from. Is it in that article? Basically, it says, must have, I'm guessing he found it somewhere else or I'm just not reading some, some piece of this right. But, uh, Basically, it says uh, one of the one of the pods um, or Q Kubernetes storage containers included login credentials for a broader Tesla Amazon. Oh no, no, okay, yeah. So sorry. Um, so yeah, basically that for whatever reason I was reading that wrong. That was what we understood was uh, the administrative interface. I don't. I actually didn't say if it was default and what we were reading, like default credentials or just like no credentials. I didn't say that, but how it would probably. I have to guess it's probably something like that. Um, so that that administrative interface was exposed either way. They logged in and they got the creds, but that is like the same story that happens time and time again in terms of root account usage, like. That's scary if that's true. Like, and this is totally separate, like you said, from this particular instance. But that is scary if it's seventy three percent. I don't know. I'm skeptical. Yeah, and I, I, I've got to wonder where they actually pulled that number from, right? Lies and statistics, right? But um, it, I don't know if it would be that shocking, though, right? I mean, you think about how most companies utilize AWS. And it's probably not the larger ones that have a well-defined cloud security, you know, uh, methodology or cloud security, you know, program that they just do everything using the root account, right? Um, yeah, which Evan Johnson um, had teased with a uh, potential blog post coming out where he promised that the that you could. Um, you could have an organization that didn't have any AWS creds, but could still operate inside of AWS. And that sounds awesome. And I totally can't wait to read it. Um, I forget what he said he was using for that, but 
I think it was a combination of tools, but that sounds really awesome. My guess is it involves STS, Security Token Service, which yeah. is, for those that aren't familiar with AWS, STS basically gives you a temporary set of credentials that are time expiring, depending on how long you said that they should expire. So um, those STS credentials also have a policy attached to them, meaning uh, you could say, hey, I'm going to dish out these temporary credentials. They expire within, we'll say, 12 hours, and they only have access to uh, our RDS instances to, to manage those. Or um, here's a here's a one-hour token that's that allows you to do something with billing, like read a billing statement. Um, so you can really you can really be granular in your policy, but also in the fact that you're not like hard coding STA or uh, excuse me, AWS credentials into your source. I say that because it's not just like you can give a person an STS. Uh, you can also you can also basically create an uh, STS or create a role that's attached to an instance and that role gets STS. Um, so like they get the token for that role uh, and meaning the EC2 instance, for example, has a role attached to it. That role gets temporary credentials that are uh, rolled like, I don't know, every 12, 24 hours, whatever it is. And um, basically it allows your code to, instead of storing in your source code, hard-coded credentials, you can, what it does is like, I think Paperclip is an example. It'll curl on that EC2 machine, 169 dot whatever. It's like the local IP that runs on that machine. It'll download the metadata credential file, and then it's got a temporary set of credentials that it can work with. And again, like you don't have to do anything in terms of storing any access keys in your source code. Yeah. Well, and that, that plays right in actually this hack and the, you know, the description of how STS actually works, right? Plays right into that other suggested discussion topic for tonight, Ken, um, which uh, is a blog post that was up on portswigger.net from July of last year, uh, which is, which covers a whole bunch of, of, um, basically hidden attack surfaces of HTTP, right? And uh, Ken, do you have that link if you want to post that one out as well? <laughs> I am because I'm still reading it. <laughs> Such a long read. Uh, Ports here. Yep. There we go. Hopefully that comes through right. All right. So once you pull that up or, you know, my take on it initially is, that it really takes advantage of the the, impl the HTTP implementations for reverse proxies and leaking data out using Collaborator, right? Um, so who's the, not sure who the author here on this one is. It's listed all the way at the bottom. Oh, it's James Kettle, okay. So James released a collaborator everywhere uh, burp suite extension to actually help decloak some of these backend systems, right? So uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with collaborator, it's a it's a burp extension or no, it's not an extension, right? It's a portion of burp that actually listens for requests from the application. So this is how we identify server-side request forgery, right? Um, so when you push some data to an application and the application in turn requests that data from somewhere else or requests some resource from another location, that is server-side request forgery. And we use Collaborator to actually detect that, right? Um, it's, there is a Collaborator instance that uh, burp runs that'll actually help you identify that or you can set up your own instance but it's another piece of software that actually runs and just listens for requests whether that be web requests or dns requests that a server is making based on a user's input so what james has done and what he started to enumerate is the different places within a request that you can inject 
collaborator URLs to see where the application starts making different requests. And in addition to this, actually using different terminators and characters to access resources that may not be available to you, but that the application there, or may not be able, may not be accessible externally, but the application or the reverse proxy that you're talking to can access on an internal network, right? So in a nutshell, that's what this is talking about, is, is targeting those hidden HTTP uh, resources or things that that, that central application has access to that you don't necessarily have access to from an external resource, right? Uh, Ken, does that make sense to you? Yeah, and one note of the, um, and I'm not sure who had, uh, like, who had um, brought this to our attention. They they kind of wanted to discuss, but um, for that person, if they're not, or just anybody watching, like, uh, you, you can set up your own Burp Collaborator server um, by, I think it's just a command line switch within Burp, um, and you can start up your own Collaborator server that you if you basically if you don't want like your target um calling out to port swigger's server but it's sort of uh the same it's it's not sort of it's the same thing that we had talked about a few episodes back at least the concept which is server-side request forgery uh mucking about with different headers to get it to uh or not headers sorry different input headers paths path parameters um whatever body body parameters um messing around with all that to see if uh um you can get some get get a site to call out to you and apologies i'm also reading this to see if there's anything super unique to that he's like doing here uh so uh the request was from andrew smith okay on twitter because I and I say that because I know he had mentioned load balance. I, I, what I'm saying is I read something about having issues with load balancing. So one of the things he mentions is that there were like there was an issue with I think Yahoo is who he mentions um, mm-hmm. where they had three different versions of the site up and the load balancer was round robining ra- round was sending requests in a round robin fashion, and so that means th- with each request to the app. Again, just reiterating for anybody who's not familiar, each time a request comes in, there's different metrics to decide which resource, which server to send it to. So let's say I had um, three different requests, then uh, only one of those three was hitting a server that was actually vulnerable. Um, then that kind of skews, it makes, it, makes, it makes it a bit difficult to detect, right? Because think about one request with all the different places that all the different inputs on that one request, all of them have to be fuzzed. And then you are hoping that you're hitting the right server or you're sending enough requests to eventually get that metric to hit that metric that forwards it to the right server. And then that server calls off to yours. Um, And that's the, I mean, that's the whole reason that he did the um, collaborator everywhere, Burp Suite extension. So it normally uh, the later these the most current versions of Burp run server side request forgery attacks, right? Um, if you're running a scanner, but it doesn't necessarily put them everywhere, right? So the Burp collaborator or the collaborator everywhere extension actually starts putting them on every single request, right? That, that's the that's the whole point of it so that you can track back a request to collaborator from any previous request that you made so that you know exactly where it, where it's actually happening, right? So it's just extending, like the extension makes sense. So instead of just searching for specific instances of server-side request forgery, it's, it's a tagging each request with a SSRF ID that you can use to look up later, right? Um, the interesting thing that I found on this was that the amount of manual work that actually goes into it, right? Uh, and this is uh, this is maybe what Andrew was 
was asking about when he talked about out of band vulnerability discovery is there's no like one good way to actually exploit one of those vulnerabilities. Uh, the blog post from James goes through a number of different situations that he ran into, right? The misrouting of requests, uh, specific implementations that allowed for an at symbol instead of a slash and then appended that, um, that the proxy itself was allowing for get or set commands. Uh, so you could change things around if you could do that local call, the host ID, when the host ID actually gets implemented versus having the URL or having the host in the in the initial get slash request at the very top for HTTP 1.1, right? So th there's, there's a number of different locations and vulnerabilities in play within this single blog post, but the takeaway is that it's very manual. Uh, and the best vulnerabilities in my experience are manual. And that's where we end up getting, you get, you get a lot more payout from the bug bounties is when you dig a little bit deeper, right? Uh, yeah, it's, it's great to jump on and find the cross-site scripting very quickly and see if you can get your money that way. But most of the time, the more interesting vulnerabilities and the ones that we like to explore, like this blog post, are the ones that actually take a little bit of thought and a little bit of scratching the surface before actually finding something that could potentially lead to a, a higher risk or a higher scored vulnerability, right? Yeah, it's super unique in terms of like, is the question, how would you, how would you actually leverage SSRF? Um, to, I think so. Right. I, I think that's what Andrew was asking. And Andrew, if you're listening, Hey, feel free to pipe up. Uh, if not send us an email and we can, we can address it later. I mean, I have an example. I like kind of hesitant to, to post it. Um, I think I'm gonna, I'll think I'll set. Sorry. I'm just thinking. It's so already public. Do you have an example of SSRF and how yeah. that actually? Yeah, I do. Um, it's public, so fuck it. I'm just going to post it. Um, let's see. Put it in the links here. Um, so it came out of a bug bounty, actually, for GitHub, as a matter of fact. Um, but it's public knowledge, and um, it's been out here, so I'm not giving away anything. I just had to think about it for a second. I'm like, how? You know. But... Um, it's really, if you read through this, it's four different vulnerabilities chained together. It's not easy. It's super complicated. Um, uh, effectively, if I'm not mistaken, um, do, 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 I think he took GitHub Enterprise, deobfuscated it, um, found some C-Surf, uh, then used that C-Surf to use F, uh, like an, uh, a URL that is within the RFC format, but um, wasn't thought of, right? Uh, in the sense of like what was whitelisted for, doesn't matter what they use, the format they use, and you can read about it in that article and I'll post it on the descri description of the video. Um, they kind of bypassed the, uh, the like IP schema expectations that were allowed or disallowed rather. Um, and then, uh, they, um, we're able to call out to a uh, graphite instance, call a shutdown since you can just, it's just a, basically the URL was uh, HTTP colon forward slash forward slash zero uh, port 9200 underscore shutdown, right? So there were a few things um, in that blog post. I'll let the readers, uh, you know, again, I'll put the link out there for people to read, but um, yeah. Uh, John says, double check that link, only Chinese from for me. Let me see. <laughs> I used, oh, yeah, no, it's um good point, John. See, this is the problem I'm having is that some of these, this is why we're moving to Slack, uh, because some of these links just don't make it in. It's it's not great. Uh, I will try again. So, yeah, it sounds like Neil had fun chasing that one down. <laughs> yeah. Again, these are, we need to have him on. He's got some, I'm sure, some really good, I know some really good stories. So, well, and that's like 
And, and this is it. Like th this ties straight into what I was saying about it being custom, right? So this one using the zero for localhost, which is, you know, a, that's completely valid HTTP or a, a completely valid IP address. Um, it, that, that's the custom portion of the attack, right? That you maybe wouldn't necessarily think about because if you put in 127.0.0.1, which is probably the, you know, the, the burp default in scanner that may not return, right? Um, maybe it does now, maybe eight zero is included because it is, you know, it was in this blog post or somebody's included in the payload list, but that's not always the case, right? It's usually the more interesting uh, vulnerabilities that you've got to tease out where those breakdowns are, right? And, and I mean, this always goes back to the, the point that I like to make that the, you know, kind of the, the best application security people are people that have built applications, right? Because they do tend to recognize where someone forgets about a specific RFC. I, I mean, if you had never read the HTTP spec, you would not realize that that the zero represented localhost. So at some point he had to dig into that to actually figure that out, right? Yeah, it's uh well, and the other thing with with RFCs and schemas and whatnot, I mean, they change they change enough that like I, I say that at the same time, I'll, I'll I'll tell you right now, the Tangled Web, I still find that to be something that's I can still use, I can still reference, and it still has a pretty good grip on how things on the the web in general work. But um, things change, obviously, so. Uh, uh, it's just, it's just a, it's just a difficult job in general, but in terms of, um, I, I don't know, like, I think, I think collaborator for me has done a pretty, I hope has done a pretty good job with, uh, with like detecting, um, call outs to my server, but, um, yeah, in terms of exploitation, that's such a, it's always such a super, like, what can you do? I don't know. What can you do? You have to really like dig in and, and and figure out and like that's really that's kind of difficult when you don't know when you don't have a lot of visibility into the like target that you're dealing with i'm definitely not an expert at exploiting SSR, ssrf without having like good insight into your target um which i think by the way is why i'm like really pumped for jason to come on because he deals with things in a more um black box fashion and for those that aren't familiar with black box that basically means um no access to source code you know no like locally running instance of the app no uh real understanding of what's going on behind the scenes you get presented with a url maybe some creds and then you're told hey find what you can in this target or you're just given a url and said you know uh find what you can or you're you're told here's a list of domain or here's a here's a top level domain and find anything on all of the subdomains you can, so it varies quite a bit and that's a really different test and it's a really different set of tricks and um, I almost feel like a little bit different of a skill set than um, if you're doing you know more uh, either defense or sort of like this hybrid assessment which we've talked about which is you have access to source and um, a running application as well. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is, right? Uh, the the ability, I, I know that the new, like, sexy InfoSec term would be threat hunting, right? That seems to be what people have settled on. But really, it's a dynamic assessment where you're looking for high value or high risk vulnerabilities. Um, similar to kind of what a red team does, but it, there's for some reason, people have latched on to the threat hunting term for, hey, we're looking across the organization. The scope isn't necessarily as defined or as limited as what we traditionally look at from a, hey, an application security perspective, right? Um, yeah. So, I mean, as and as far as SSRF goes, the that that was that was the other interesting thing that I found out found just glancing at the blog post that you threw up there, Ken, was the fact that he gets to the end of one section and says, okay, there are several limitations in this SSRF, right? Right. So 
you've got to know what those limitations are in order to exploit them. So if you can't control the post data and the HTTP headers, uh, realistically, some of the other things that James did in his his blog post wouldn't necessarily be vulnerable, right? At within GitHub Enterprise or within that that instance that you're dealing with, for sure. But that doesn't necessarily that doesn't mean that you're you're secure if you don't or if you do. It, you know, there's all sorts of things that you're depending on, right? There's other libraries that you're calling that you may want to take a look at, right? But identifying them, the the Collaborator Everywhere tool or even just Burp Suite Scanner has a pretty good track record of identifying those, those locations. Well, well uh, I did want to ask him, I'm kind of shifting gears. I did want to ask him to, maybe I can just go find it. There's a, uh, I wanted to bring up something we could talk about after last week's episode with regards to LocomocoSec and helping folks um, be a part of it that wouldn't normally have the opportunity. Uh, I'll go, I'll go, I'll look through the link if uh, I don't, I'll, I'll look in here for it unless he posts it sooner, but I did want to talk about that at some point. Um, <laughs> so, Actually, uh, th- I think. By the way, this was a little bit of a troll from David Corsi. Did you see the? Did you see what he had sent about the, uh, um, the whole like, Twitter and and Ruby on Rails, uh, like being basically uh, someone blaming the limitations of Ruby on Rails uh, for why Twitter couldn't deal with harassment sooner. I I, I didn't actually, but <laughs> do tell. <laughs> That was the gist of it. I mean, uh, I guess they put out, somebody put out a, uh, what is this, in Vanity Fair? Real reputable reputable news source, folks. Um, anyways, it's this long, ranty article. Um, but uh, basic gist was that that was it, right? Like, um, we couldn't, I'm trying to find the exact quote they took from it. Uh uh, at the same time, her defenders say Harvey was uh, has been forced to clean up a mess that Twitter should have fixed years ago. Twitter's backend was initially built on Ruby on Rails, a rudimentary web application framework that made it nearly impossible to find a technical solution to the harassment problems. Um, so that was put out there. Uh, like, I don't give a shit about, you know, defending Ruby or, or Rails or anything like that. I mean, yes, I, I know Ruby and I've written Ruby, but... Um, you know, it's like, uh, you know, if I'm going to nail a, uh, if I'm going to, going to hammer a nail, I'm going to use a hammer, right? If I'm going to turn a, a pipe, I'm going to use a wrench, just whatever suits your, your, um, uh, whatever tool suits, suits the job. But, uh, it's kind of always been my approach to, uh, languages. Um, but in this case, I think what, if I had to guess, I, what do I know? Right. But I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess that somebody, um, completely misinterpreted what they, uh, what was said or their, I feel like it, there was probably something, um, said that made them believe that the, like Ruby on rails was to blame. And it might've been something more along the lines of, well, you know, we made, we, we made some design trade-off decisions, um, focused on, you know, these things we were dealing with, uh, sc- scaling with Ruby on Rails, that was our focus. I don't know, something along those lines. And probably heard, oh yeah, Ruby Ruby on Rails wasn't good enough. So, uh, you know, that's why they didn't handle harassment. I mean, that's ridiculous. I, mean, I, I just have to believe that's not the, uh, well, I, I mean, full story. Yeah, yeah, people have a tendency to latch on to things like that, right? They understand, oh, Ruby on Rails, and we weren't able to do that because of it, right? That's what they hear. I mean, how often do we deal with that in a, you know, when telling people about vulnerabilities, you're trying to couch it because you're like, oh, well, this is a problem because of, you know, SQL injection. And that's the one thing that they they latch on to is SQL injection, as opposed to what the real issue is, is that you're not training your developers, right? I, you know, so. Yeah. I don't, you know, 
I don't know what else there is to say on that. Um, but uh, just been a, it's always like that with just, I don't know, between tech communities and news communities. That's why I like, um, what's his name? Uh, Steve Reagan from uh, uh, CSO. Uh, he's, he's a, he's a journalist. I'm always kind of a, I've, I've met him, um, done an interview with him and I've read a lot of what he's written and I always like to read his stuff, but, um, most journalists don't have the kind of background that he, that he has and, and, you know, skill set, integrity, et cetera. So it's kind of a crazy thing, but I know it was kind of like a joke when, uh, Corsi had, uh, sent that, but, um, it was definitely something that, that like I had been thinking about. So came at the right time <laughs> and I'm still like scrolling, trying to find this link from. No, uh, I, I, I think I, I remember the, I remember that there was an article about an engineer that split from GitHub. Right. And it had to do with, you know, some sort of transparency or I, I vaguely remember something along those lines, right? but you know, having dealt with multiple large companies, right? You know that there's not there, there's always two sides to the story. Anyway. Definitely, and, and it's not necessarily a technical issue, and it usually isn't. It's usually a people issue. Which, so which kind of, you know brings me to another another topic. I know we're you know kind of through the the list that you know the technical list that we've got, right? Um, but I was, I was talking with a, a friend earlier today about information security in general and kind of security people and how they, how they approach, right, um, uh, sales, right. In general and, and dealing with people and trying to sell their services. Um, you know, no matter what you, what you think where you're at in an organization, whether you're embedded or you are a consultant, it's kind of, it goes along with, it goes along with building your career in actually selling yourself and making connections with people as opposed to just technology. Right? Um, I think, you know, Ken, you've, you've been, in a, in a number of different organizations. And how often is it that the te technical solution is for any given problem, whether that's application security or, you know, development, that the solution is only technical in nature? I mean, I always, I always say tech is, tech is easy. People are hard. That's definitely true. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of think of some concrete examples. Um, I mean, it, it definitely comes down to when this is actually. So I was responding to. Man, I'm going to get long winded for a second. So I was responding to this whole um, request. To there's like this book coming out. It's going to be on um, security people. How they kind of. Um, uh, how they got their start, how they got in, like, you know, just their thoughts on the industry, et cetera. And that, that's going to go to, uh, um, the proceeds are going to go to charity. Anyways, in it, one of the, the questions was like, you know, uh, about, about like false things in the cybersecurity industry. And one of those things that I, that I had responded with was, um, like thinking we're, we're more than we are. Um, and that's so like, you know, I think anybody who's read the Phoenix Project or both, like like worked in an organization or both, you you definitely know um, that we're like one small part part of a business. T typically, anyways, we're we're a pretty small part of the business. We're uh, we are not more important than we uh, than we think we are. Um, oftentimes, when it comes to like our when it comes to decision making. I've definitely seen folks who are a little bit more junior take it more take a decision to like they've given input decision goes a different way than they had recommended and that becomes like kind of a personal slight but it's not right it, it just may be that that's there's other priorities and that happens quite a bit um, again that is business so long-winded way of saying um, yeah uh, 
same same thing I started with, which was uh, tech is easy, people are hard, um, we're not that important, and we're just one small part of the part of a business. Um, yeah, and, and and that's what I was gonna. That's kind of the point that I was driving towards is that you're constantly selling yourself and your ideas, right? And if you don't make some sort of personal connection with people, uh, like some sort of build some sort of a relationship with them, it's very difficult for them to relate with what you're saying, right? Uh, you, you can't always just be the tech guy, it, even though they appreciate the tech guy. Uh, there's got to be some sort of a, you know, a personal relationship if you want to really build your career. And that goes, you know, as you're in information security, you're going to a security conference, you start talking to people, you start talking about tech and what you're interested in. But that's, you know, you know you're building a personal relationship over the tech and over the things that you're doing as opposed to, you know, your regular like familiar relationships or relationships outside of the tech industry. Um but at some level, you've got to make that personal connection, right? Whether it's with your manager, whether it's with the development team, uh, those development teams that you have success with, guess what? Those are usually the guys that you're working with and you're building those relationships in addition to working on technology. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, don't, don't, uh, one recommendations don't, don't, you know, I think anybody, um, like Jerry definitely had, I've, seen him talk about this um which is you know you can't have like an iron fist all the time you 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 have to realize that you're going to have to make some um compromises in that way when you actually need to to you know you you need to take a stand it's taken legitimately so but i think that's common sense um but like you said you do that you build relationships that'll that'll take you a long way Uh, it's not just about the technical aspect Although well, that's pretty I, important. I mean, part, of, part of the reason it came up, I, you know, I was talking to a friend and he was, you know, he works for a consulting organization and they're in with this really big client. And, you know, after three years of, you know, them spending six plus figures a, a year with them as a consulting org, they just cut it off completely, right? They cut back to something like, you know, a small like ten to fifteen thousand dollar project for one year. It's you know, when you're a small consulting consulting organization, that's a that's a significant, you know, if you go from six figures and you drop down to, you know, one tenth of that, um, that can have serious consequences being able to employ people, being able to keep people busy. Um, and they started asking why that was. And what it turned out is, hey, guess what? We've been, you know, this big organization, we've been trying to manage the whole thing over email, right? We've never actually taken these guys out to dinner. We've never met up with them at a conference. And guess what happens, right? The next time that somebody else comes along and, you know, bids at a slightly lower price, guess who they're going to go with? It's going to be the guy that they know, right? For sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's... um. That's absolutely critical. I mean, and it's not just, it's not just to, you know, to, to keep your contract. It's not just to, uh, um, you know, for like financial gain. It's, it's because like, if you want to be successful in the sense of, um, helping with legitimately positive change, uh, you have to, you have to, um, have people to do that. Right. So. Um, it's politics, but it, you know, kind of right. Less scummy, <laughs> less scummy, just being a real person, making a true connection different than a less scummy than a, like a, a DC politician. That's the bar that we're setting it at, right? As DC politician. And then, <laughs> yeah, be, be less scummy than a DC politician. That's your, that's the bar we're aiming for. No, but yeah, I see your point And, Oh, I mean, it's hard when you're when you're embedded with an organization, right? Because you don't necessarily you don't always think about the fact that you are trying to build relationships with teams. Uh, You know, if I'm if I'm on the security team in a production security role or an application security role or product security, I should say, um, I don't 
like I'm, my exposure to the, those team members that are trying to build something isn't the same as somebody that's embedded in the team. It's just not. So actually getting them to push my fix above whatever other features they're being pushed on is going to be very difficult unless I unless I have their trust, unless I'm able to actually talk to them knowledgeably and they they know that what I'm saying, you know, I've got their back. Plus, guess what? You will you will screw up. Like it's going to happen. Meaning like uh I give you a perfect example, a pretty concrete example. Um how many times have you been a part of a uh, like a consulting group that's gone in, assessed an app, uh, and then like nowadays it's bug bounties, right? But um, like, what is it? Uh, seven years ago, it was other consultancies. So like you might have other consultancies also working on some of the apps that, or coming back, like you you do your assessment one quarter, they do theirs the next quarter just for due diligence. And so like when you're given a week, basically when your scope's not great, there's always that chance that you miss something, right? Yep. And so they're going to wonder, why did you miss that? And you have to start answering, answering questions. Um, and guess what? You know, having a good, that's just one, one area where having a good relationship can certainly make, um, make a difference. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, I mean, that was, that was just on the top of my mind today after having this discussion with this, this friend, um, just because it's, you know, it's a critical piece of the industry, right? You know, the fact that we know each other, that we do this podcast is because, you know, we've, we've been in the trenches together doing this for years. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And like, you've you've got to foster that somehow, right. If you're looking to get into the industry, that's, that's a a good way to do it. Identify someone that's already there. That's already in the trenches and, you know, keep at it together. Right. You know, whether that's going and doing capture the flag events together, whatever it is, right. Going to conferences, at least it gives you a community that you can build from and build those relationships up. And then remember that those people that you're dealing with on a daily basis in your, in your company, in your consultancy are also ones that you've got a base that you have to sell yourself to as well. So I, I know I'm off on a weird tangent, but no, it doesn't matter. I'm here messing with my mic, trying to figure this thing out. It's acting weird this little but yeah no i mean i get it and actually as a perfect segue into getting into the industry early in your career etc um and i think we'll next episode also promote this at the top of the episode it kind of just slipped my mind but uh so locum okasek uh conference happening in hawaii a lot of great um like absec folks are there speaking keynoting teaching etc uh, but you know, like it's a good place to network. Um, they have a diversity, um, like sponsorship program. So you can sponsor someone's, um, travel. So airfare, hotel tickets, et cetera. Um, so I posted the link in chat. I'll do it in the description. And then also from our Twitter account, it's uh, at absolute appsec pretty easy. We retweeted the link so that if you um, you want to go back and you, you know you want to nominate someone, you want to help out in any way, um, you can definitely um, uh, um, sorry, Neil wrote something. He wrote and training, and I'm trying to think what did I leave out that about training? Uh, the conference has training. Um, don't know if I mentioned that. But uh, yeah, for the diversity for the di- diversity sponsorship program, I think this is an awesome thing. Um, Seth, I know you and I were kind of talking about this last week. Um, we really would like to see, um, you know, a, a diverse, a more diverse AppSec uh, field, and um, something like this goes a long way towards it. So, um, oh, sorry, training is included in the diversity sponsorship. I was like, hmm, I'm not sure what he meant. Okay, thanks, Neil, for clearing that up. But uh, so next week, though, we will mention that again at the top of the episode just to uh, I meant to do it today, but I forgot it slipped my mind. So um, anyways, help somebody out if you can. Uh, Yeah, it's always good. Right. Um, But again, you know, the call to get involved and to go see what what you've got locally. I mean, if you've got the ability to go to to Hawaii for a locomosec 
Did I say that right? Locomoco sack. Sorry. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, right? That that would be awesome. So, hey, where's your hack? Where's the Hack West? Uh... Yeah, that was that was going to be my next thing. Is you know, if you're you're in Salt Lake City, right? There's both B sides and Hack West. Um, and Hack West is running March 21st through the 23rd. Hit me up and I'll get you a code for a. Yeah, for either sponsorship or uh, you know some sort of discounted registration. Um, there's a lot that's going on. We've got uh, we're gonna we're gonna have voting machines, which should be fun, right? Um, the ones that they use in Utah for elections. So yeah, it'll be good. So so come on by. Um, and again, a lot of that's gonna be just come and meet the community and actually try something out. Uh, the more hands-on that you get at any of these, the better off it's going to be. I, I had a hard time with that when I initially got into the industry. I was pretty quiet when I would go to meetups and things like that, just not trusting, again, the, the imposter syndrome, right? I was coming from somewhere outside of security, uh, from more of an admin uh, development background, and didn't have quite the confidence that I you know, probably should have because everybody was fairly new to the industry at that point. But it took a long time for me to actually find a voice and actually speak up. And, you know, that it, it just takes, you know, takes a little bit of courage at times. But um, if you're going to be in Salt Lake City, hit me up because I'd love to, to meet you. I know we've got uh, people that listen that will be out. That's Jerry or others. Uh, Ken, are you, what are you hitting late in the next couple months? Um, well, I already mentioned Locomocosec. I am, this is kind of, um, in April, I'm going to do an OWASP Nova talk with Chris Gates, which is a, um, like precursor practice to a talk we're going to give maybe, I think at, uh, you shot the sheriff in, um, Brazil. So, um, that should be in May. And that shit that I'm excited about that. We're, I, I don't want to talk about too much what we're doing, but um, all I can say is like uh, AWS attack stuff. So uh, I've done a lot of defense for those who don't know, like I've done a lot of uh, on the defensive side of AWS explaining how to set things up securely and all that um, building some scripts around doing some of that. Uh, this is the opposite. So should be fun. I'm excited. Cool. Yeah, my next speaking stuff has to do with those security headers that we talked about. Um, I mean, it will be HackWest. We'll be talking about uh, the different security headers that are out there and some of the research I've done with Risk Recon on all the data, the data set that they have and what they're seeing. Uh, it's been it's been pretty interesting. Um, but part, a portion of that, I'll actually be doing it with Justin Larson, uh, oh, Phantom nice. Traveler, right? Uh, so we're gonna talk through how to actually set that and show some demos on what it looks like when it is set versus when it isn't do some comparisons with Chrome and Firefox and others. So it should be kind of fun. Um, again, it's more on the defensive side for sure, uh, but there may be some offensive in there, especially looking at some of the, the attacks that we talked about tonight, right? There's interesting things that you can do with those security headers as well that may lead to something like SSRF. So. Well, um, I'm excited, by the way, to see the analysis of that data um, for sure. Like, because we were, we discussed a little bit with cores and I mean, when it comes to cores and CSP and that whole conversation we had with Evan, um, I can't wait to see some actual statistics around, around these things. And uh, it should be fun. Yep. Um, we do, I was supposed to get David. So here's the thing. I was supposed to actually s schedule David Corsi and Stefan for tonight and I totally forgot we were doing this podcast until um, like last night or this morning. I can't remember. Um, anyway, so like we're definitely going to have them back on for a part two. Uh, as I said, next week, Jason Haddix. Um, I know we've got a bunch of people that have already agreed to come on. Um, and so like I think for a good at least four or five episodes, we'll have uh, special guests on to discuss mm -hmm. interesting things. So should be good. Excited. Yeah. And then like, it, like Ken said, you know, it, you know, the special guests are always great, uh, but we still like to have topics to throw at them. So if you've got anything that, that you're 
interested in or you're dealing with currently, right? Whether that is something similar to SSRF, feel free to hit us up, um, send us a DM on Twitter or you know, email us. You're probably on a Slack channel with us, I'm sure, or you can find us in some way. Um, but at absolute AppSec on Twitter or just ping us through YouTube as well. Yeah, we almost got a site going. So absoluteappsec.com should be up soon. So we'll update next episode to see if we have that up yet. Cool. All right. Uh, anything else for tonight, Ken? No. Nope. What's that? Are hard. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? Oh, technology is easy. People are hard. Is that what? Is that the? That's the takeaway. Takeaway for this week. Yeah. And SSRF is cool, uh, but it's a very manual process. <laughs> <laughs> SSR, SSRF is hard. Um, people are harder. There. <laughs> there you go. All in one. All, all in one. Some summarized by Ken. And, and make sure to put the lid or the, you know, close the, the feeder to your hamster cage. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for joining, everybody. We'll talk soon.